Thank you, Bernadette. And we're talking about bringing good news. All right. Bringing good news, indeed. Well, we, uh, we finished Easter, and obviously we end Easter with Christ's resurrection. And uh, very, af- very quickly thereafter, uh, there's a big transformation because uh, Christ uh, imparts his Holy Spirit to his disciples, and his disciples then carry out the work that we read about in the book of Acts, uh, which is where we're doing the series uh, from. And the uh, relevant thing for us is that God is still doing the same thing now as what he did then, where he's uh, expanding the kingdom, he's asking average, everyday people like you and I to uh, be part of uh, taking the good news, Uh, to people in different cultures, different places, uh, and of course also uh, doing it locally. So, uh, you know, as a church movement, the Vineyard has always been committed to uh, starting new churches, and we we try and start churches locally uh, as well as internationally, and so we're always part of uh, uh, missions uh, activities. But uh, I want to share a little bit about our recent uh, trip to, to Spain. Uh, we were there for just a short time, less than a week. And uh, I took two, Liz and I, my wife and I, took uh, two of our youth um, with us to kind of tag along and, and see what it is that we, we do there and also uh, to invest in them so that they can also see what it means to be part of bringing good news to a different culture and how do you exactly do that and what does that look like and uh, so if Lily and Amelia will come up uh, I want to have them share and uh, I, I just want to talk a little bit before they before you girls, guys say anything you can hug into the mic Amelia um, we went to the city of uh, Cordova in southern Spain and uh, Cordova you know from a church history standpoint sometimes uh, when we go to Europe, the cultures are so developed and it's hard for us as Americans, quite honestly, to grasp that, okay, this structure was built in, you know, whatever year, but the bridge that goes over the river into Cordova was built by the Romans. It's still being used today, uh, you know, so you've got buildings that were there when Christ was around and uh, activity that was there at that time. So it's hard for us... It, to grasp all of this in a short time period. But uh, southern Spain, which is where we went to, was uh, pretty active for for Christ. And then uh, the Muslims uh, moved in. And so in about the year 1000, uh, that became Cordova, the town that we went to, became sort of the uh, ruling area for North Africa, southern Spain, probably southern France, and so they built this massive big uh, mosque uh, in, in Cordova, and then uh, after uh, the Muslims got kicked out and the, the Catholic Church redeveloped itself there, they said, well, this mosque is really beautiful, we don't want to knock it down, so what we'll do is we'll change it and make it into a beautiful cathedral. So you've got this pretty... Um, I don't even kind of call it bizarre or wonderful, but uh, so you've got this architecture, which is the mosque, and then in the middle, you've got this unbelievably ornate, um, like, uh, you know, pulpit and uh, 
and whatever. So you've got this cathedral, which is pretty active, uh, still used as a cathedral and a tourist uh, destination. But for this region that we went to, for most people in Europe, this would be the single most, uh, this would be the tourist destination, just trying to figure out and look at the architecture and whatever not uh, for this uh, court of a cathedral. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, let me just hear more from Lily and Amelia, more from a practical standpoint, like what they got out of it. And uh, Amelia, you go first. Um, first, we just wanted to thank everyone that made this trip possible by donating. Um, it was just an amazing experience, and we are so grateful to you guys. Um, so one of my greatest experiences from the trip was, actually before we even got to Spain, it was in a layover in Portugal. Um, we got to meet a couple there who have moved their lives into Lisbon, and they're planning to plant a church there. Um, and the guy said this one sentence like while he was talking, like along this long conversation, that just stuck out to me so much, which was, um, like the way he decided to go to Lisbon is um, he stopped praying for God to do something in his life and started praying where God is doing something and he moved his life there. Um, and that struck me so much because that's a decision I feel like I've recently had to make because um, I'm moving to Mississippi next year to be in a Christian dance company down there. Uh, and the biggest hesitation I had was the distance. Um, but the way he said that, it um, it struck me that like he moved his entire life there. So I was worried that I would sort of be going to Mississippi and then on vacations be coming home to my real life um, to like visit people, but it would be like the main part of my life. But um, I sort of saw that God was sort of releasing me to have my life in Mississippi and still be able to come home and visit and enjoy my time here too. Okay, hold that point. Lily, hold on a second. Uh, Kevin, put up that picture of Lisbon for me. Uh, I want to... Okay, so here's Lily and Amelia outside this guy's house, well, his apartment complex. So this is downtown Lisbon, uh, Portugal, and uh, this missionary couple have moved into the city, and uh, this is the, the where they're living. But to uh, Amelia's point, this is like kind of like a profound thing that you picked up on. Uh, you know, when you speak to people that are actually doing stuff versus people that just talk about doing stuff, uh, you know, like you learn a whole lot more, right? And so here we're in a missions house. Yeah, here's somebody that's actually doing missions. And, you, you know, for these folks to be on a first-hand conversation is way better than a textbook it's way better than doing a course in, at seminary on missions because now you're talking to missionaries. So here's the backdrop on these guys, uh, which is, I think, significant. They got, both of them are from Chile. Uh, he is a uh, mathematician, no, a statistician, and she's an architect. They feel called by God to be missionaries. They uh, spent uh, 18 months on a library boat as missionaries traveling around the world. They then went to Uzbekistan for nine months as missionaries, and they said, well, this doesn't quite fit. They then went to the Vineyard Church in Belfast because things are really happening in this church. They spent five years there because they want to learn English, and they also went to Bible college to prepare themselves to be missionaries. Then they uh, finished their training now they're fluent in English. 
they moved to Portugal, to Lisbon, and they've just been there now uh, for several months. And now you've got to figure out, okay, as missionaries, they've got to figure out a way of making money, providing for their own resources, which they, you know, the architect, you can't be an architect unless you pass local exams and whatever not. So they started their own little businesses, which is pretty cool. They're also working on the sideline. And, they, and on top of that, they're trying to meet people and gather people, which they do by having small groups meetings in their house where they have dinner and, and talk about uh, Jesus and see what interests they have. And, you know, you just hit the pause button and these two are in on this conversation. And you're here and you're thinking, wow, what incredible commitment you know, all this training, all this effort, moving to another culture, learning languages, learning again how to, you know, make ends meet. And on top of that, trying to gather people. And as Amelia so aptly said, what she picked up on this conversation was, it's not just, is God calling me? But it's a, another question altogether is, God, where are you doing stuff? And could you place me in the midst of that? And indeed, that's where they, why they felt uh, drawn to uh, to Lisbon, Portugal. Anyway, that's a deviation, but I, I thought I'd make the point. Lily, you go. Lily's probably getting nervous. Like, when am I going to get a chance to talk? <laughs> okay, so um, whether it was at a little prayer meeting that they had or at the youth group, I noticed the people there had a really big passion for God, and um, no one was at church or at youth group just because their parents dropped them off or because they felt like they it was the right thing to do to go to church. Every single person was there because they wanted to experience God and grow in their relationship with him. So that really inspired me and I said, I want that. I want to have that passion for God that they have. So um, as we were coming back, it really inspired me to figure out where I can get that passion and explore where that comes from and how we can get it here in our own lives. So that really stuck out to me. So there's a picture of the youth group, and you can see that we're ha having a lot of fun. <laughs> this is kind of cool. Youth group, uh, what time does youth group start? Was it at 9.30, 7.30? In the park, which is along the river on this, you know, the side, nowhere near where the church is, you know, it's the other side of the city. And then what time do you go for dinner? 10 or... 10 or 11, go for dinner, and then uh, at 12 o'clock, I said, just make sure you wake me up before you, you go to check in your hotel. I want to know that you're back. <laughs> so 12 o'clock, you know, are we back? I'm like, okay, good, good youth group. Anyway, uh, th throw up some other photographs there, uh, Kevin. Put that back one, the one of the food. Uh, you know, everything's about food, uh, of course. So here's uh, Lily and Amelia. They're experiencing the local culture. This is breakfast, by the way, uh, you know. Super good pastries. Uh, Liz and I uh, tried the snails. This is, um, uh, at this time of the year, it's, uh, in Spanish they call them caracoles, and like they put up tents and everybody eats snails, and I thought it was kind of weird. Yeah, we'll try it. So we did that. And then on the other side, there's this uh, fruits which Amelia was willing to risk with me. We, this grows in the courtyard of the hotel. Um, now, the funny thing is I know the Spanish name, Nisperos, but the English name, loquat, is a loquat. So if you've had loquat, you know what that is. Uh, 
Lily said, no, thank you. Liz, my wife, says, no, thank you, unless I can buy it in a uh, fruiteria, you know, a fruit store. So I went and bought some in the fruit store, but, you know, picking from the tree, there you go. We didn't get stomach aches. We did good. All right, what else you got there, Kevin? Throw up another picture. This is uh, us having pizza. That's, like, pretty uh, compatible food. Uh, they can see us. Anything you want to say about this picture, Lily? Why this sticks out at you? This, you looked real happy. You, Lily, like, I like pizza. Uh, all right, so here we had a, okay, Mila, you can talk to this. Uh, you can't see the name of the street, but the name of the street is the Street of Jesus. How's that? If you lived on the Street of Jesus, how would that be for a good name? <laughs> so there's, uh, is that you, Amelia? Okay, i got no idea why this horse was in, I- important to you, but you tell me. We named him Felipe, and we really liked him. <laughs> Okay, a random horse. Uh, there you go. Uh, that's it. What else? Did I have any other photos? Or was that it? That's it. Good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for sharing. All right. You guys scoot out and have fun in your class. Glad to have you. You know, sometimes we take uh, our access to God or to church or connecting with God for granted because we have a lot of different churches and we have different flavors of church. And, you know, if you don't like it here, you can try it somewhere else. Uh, But in Spain, uh, as I've said on many occasions, uh, it's pretty much been Catholic. And uh, so the only church expression has been Catholic until somewhat recently where it's now no longer illegal to be a Protestant, and so you've got Protestant churches uh, moving in, but it's viewed with a huge level of skepticism, uh, like what is this weird cult Protestantism, but you know, us being in the vineyard, we're used to that, like people are constantly, what's this weird vineyard thing, so you know, we don't get too th- thrown off. Uh, but I, w- I had uh, two different meetings, the one was a leaders meeting, uh, and again, from a cultural experience, I, I, I start the meeting and I say to the, the pastor, well, how long are you expecting me to talk here for the, at this meeting? Uh, and I'm, you know, classical American uh, style, I'm thinking he wants me 35 minutes, 45 minutes tops. He says to me, in about three hours. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh, Lily and Amelia, they're going to be bored, silly listening to me for three hours. So, you know, three hours later, it's like we finished that meeting. But I had, uh, well, in, in the same way when I was preaching at the church, I was preaching for about 10 minutes, and I thought, I better check with the pastor. How long do you want me to preach for? He said, an hour or two hours. And I'm like, it'll be an hour. Believe me, it's not going to be two hours. <laughs> but it's different culture, different, different uh, um, setting. Uh, but I had two different interpreters. Both of them were British. Uh, both of them were British missionaries. And uh, both of them, their story was... Uh, is similar, where they'd gone through a mission agencies. Uh, so the first guy that that uh, that interpreted for me said his story to become a missionary was uh, the the mission agency that he signed up for out of England uh, sent him to Cordova, and for 18 months all they wanted him to do was learn Spanish. So you did four hours of uh, training every day. And he wasn't allowed to do anything else. They had to learn the culture. And 18 months later, you were then released to start doing church stuff. Five years later, uh, they were part of the church. And uh, now they were ready to actually think about starting and planting a church. 
And the other guy that interpreted for me, similar story. And uh, the feedback that they'd get from their churches, which is similar to the feedback we get from our church, would be, hey, you've been there like uh, two years. You know, why don't you have a church of like 30 people at least? And they, they just like split their sides laughing. They're like, you know, every missionary I meet in Europe is the same thing. It's like, three years? You think you're going to have 30 people in three years? No. It's like, it, this is a 10-year project. You know, it, it's just doesn't happen that fast. So most people just like give up. They just like can't understand this long-term view. And so the guy in, in Portugal, uh, obviously coming from Latin American culture, and again, Portugal, they speak Portuguese, uh, which so do Brazil. So they have a, just like an influx of Brazilian pastors coming to Portugal. And it's the classic challenge. Uh, Brazilian pastors are seeing a lot of like great things happen in Brazil. They get real fired up. They come to Portugal and it's like a zero. And after like 18 months, they go back and they just say, this just didn't work. So a whole different view needs to be uh, come up with. Like, how do you do this for the long haul? And so, you know, our involvement in Spain is to try and get Spanish people or in Portugal, get Portuguese people to start churches and uh, develop more churches. And our role is to try and make that happen. Now, there's no formula for that. It's no, there's no way of knowing how to do that. So I'm working with this Spanish pastor that's a vineyard church in Cordova and trying to partner with him. I'd love to have him come out uh, here uh, and see our church. Uh, and he's in turn trying to mentor those that are in his church that have gone out to start churches elsewhere. But it's a small slow prices. I mean, his church is probably 70 people, so it's, it's pretty small, which by Spain standards is like this huge church. I mean, he has a Protestant church of 70 people. It's like everybody knows about it. Uh, anyway, so I do want to say this, though. For you and for me, uh, this idea of how do we influence people and how do we bring the gospel, uh, I think there's something to be said for um, thinking about the, the local context, like how do we influence people locally? How do we impact the friends and family that we know for the gospel? And if we can impact one person, one person can in, indeed impact their family. And uh, it's really important to have this mindset. You know, both the missionaries that I met that translated for me, the British guys, neither of them are involved in vineyard churches. They were, I don't even know what churches they were from, but they weren't vineyards. But both of them were impacted by John Wimber, who was the starter and the founder of the vineyard movement. And I thought, this is really interesting. You know, here's one person, John Wimber, who's influenced not only our movement, uh, but has influenced individual people indirectly, and in these cases, for these missionaries, directly. So, I want to encourage each of us, uh, you know, to think locally uh, and think, how do we influence people around us uh, for the gospel? It, it, and it doesn't have to be thousands of people, but it could just be one person or your family or your extended family or your friends. And uh, I would like us to be able to do that. Let me just uh, ask God to help us with that, because it's not something we can do in isolation. God, I just uh, welcome your presence as I read your word, and I pray that you'd speak to each of our hearts, and uh, Lord, I ask that 
we would indeed uh, be able to influence for you those that are around us, those that we love, those that we come in contact with. Help us, Jesus, to have spiritual conversations. Uh, but mostly, Lord, that we could pass on the love that you have for, for us and for our friends and family, that they can experience your love and that we can be part of that process. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, make your way to the book of Acts. I want to read from chapter uh, 16 of Acts. And, and uh, as I said, uh, this is the, the story that accounts for how the, the churches were started uh, by mostly the Apostle Paul and uh, how he went about uh, doing church planting. And part of what we're going to look at today is not only how does uh, Paul plant churches, but uh, most of you are probably not going to run around planting churches, although I hope a few of you might be, or uh, be at least helpful or interested in supporting people that do want to be missionaries and start churches. But for most of you, or for all of us, I think we want to be able to hear God's voice and uh, as we look at today's passage, we see the Apostle Paul uh, also looking to hear, listen to God's voice for direction. And uh, how did the Apostle Paul hear from God? And how did the Apostle Paul move in a whole different culture with different people? And how did he go about uh, trying to start uh, churches? Uh, and, you know, one of the, th the questions that uh, came up uh, this week as I was sharing with a, a friend of mine who's not a Christian he said to me, he said, because uh, I explained this whole story of my, these friends in Portugal, and he said, wow, that sounds like a lot of hard work uh, to be a missionary. I mean, why, if, if God is so powerful, why is it like so difficult? Like, why doesn't God just make it happen? And I'm like, uh, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> you know, it's like in the Bible, it's like, okay, if the Apostle Paul is going into all these towns, and like, why isn't it like really, really easy? I mean, why does he end up in prison and get beaten and get flogged and, and then, you know, have a tiny little church? And, I, you know, the best answer I can come up with is this. In our normal everyday lives, we don't encounter the spirit of darkness. Uh, you know, we come to church and I talk about Jesus and we get fired up. But when you start telling people about Jesus, you all of a sudden encounter like the spirit of this world. And for most people in our area, uh, the, the way that people respond to me when I talk about Jesus is just total indifference. I mean, they're not angry. Even if they're atheists, are like, ah, believe whatever you believe. You know, if I say, you know, come on to church, they're like, no, nah, bless you. You go to church. It's, that's your thing. But ah, I don't want, you know, I'm not interested. Now, when you try and influence people, you realize that you, you're like you're coming up against something. I mean, it's not that obvious until you realize, like, why is it so difficult for people to come to church? It's not like, you know, this is a, a bad gig. I mean, it's like, come out and find out about God. He loves you. I mean, but you will. You pick up this resistance. So anyway, uh, let me read this story from Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of uh, Phrygia and Galatia. Sorry, I got a little bit of a head cold from my trip still. Uh, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. 
Now, we don't understand how the Holy Spirit prevented them. They just had plans. They wanted to go to Asia. They're in like what would be today modern-day Turkey. And they want to go to the southwest corner. And that's their plan. It's a good plan. Because where they located, uh, that would be the logical route for where all the cities that are vibrant are at. Uh, but for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. And uh, then coming to the borders of... Uh, Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Oh, okay, so like, wait, this is the apostle. This is like Paul. He's like, you know, the hero of all this. He's like totally confused. He's trying to do God's work. He's praying. He's asking. He said, like, I'm going to go down here. And the Spirit of God says no. And he goes this way. And the Spirit of God says no. Now, we don't have all the details. I'd love to know all the details. Exactly how did the Spirit say no? Exactly what did this communication look like? We don't, all, we don't know that. So in verse 8, So instead they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night Paul had a vision. A man, from, a man from Macedonia, northern Greece, was standing there pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, so now, yeah, this is the part that's so helpful uh, for you and for me that might not be like clued into, you know, supernatural stuff, you can realize that if somebody's begging you to come over to this area, it's like, maybe that's God. And then in verse 10, it says, So we decided to leave for Macedonia, at once having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Uh, just a little side note, uh, uh, the word we, uh, this is uh, the first time we pick up who the we is, and uh, this is the where Dr. Luke joins the party. So you've got uh, the Apostle Paul, you've got Silas, they're on their way, and now all of a sudden you hear we, and of course the book was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he joins the party at this point, that's just a side note. Uh, and then it says, We boarded the boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of uh, Samothrace, and the, the next day landed in Neopolis, from there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. So, you know, in summary, here you have Paul, uh, he is trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He makes his plans. It goes this way. It doesn't work out well. It goes that way. It doesn't work out well. Then he gets this kind of a dream, uh, and he follows that dream, uh, a man calling out to come to this other, other place, a whole another, actually another continent, because he's in Asia, and now he's going to Europe, which would be Greece. Uh, and thankfully he does, because this was the first time we had a church in Europe, which is the church in, in Philippi. Uh, and, you know, he hears God's voice. God eventually directs him. So if you're following along in your uh, outline, uh, 
you know, one of the ways that God guides us to influence others is he guides us in obvious ways. It's like to, to do the obvious, to follow what you think you need to do. And so Paul does the obvious. They say, hey, we're going to take the gospel to this part of, uh, of um, modern-day Turkey today, and we're going to just go out and do it. Uh, we're not sure exactly how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Now, there's a proverb which really is applicable to all of us. And it's a proverb that says this, Proverbs 16:9. We make our own plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We make our own plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You see, here's a principle that is very helpful for us. Uh, we should be asking God constantly to guide us. But often, our guidance looks very much like it's just our own plans. But because we've prayed about it, because we have faith in God, it's God that actually directs our steps. And we may or may not see exactly how God is doing that. Uh, but the main and the plain is we ask God and we do what we think is logical. We do what we think is right. And if it's you know ethical, we, we pursue it. But we say, God, change our plans. Deviate, move us, do whatever you, you want to do with us. You know, the other thing, it's not written in Scripture, but we look at it in this particular context. Paul is going, and he's probably thinking, you know, I want to go to the coast, which is where the city of Ephesus is, and that would be a good place to go because it's a major city, and we know Paul eventually gets to Ephesus, and he plants a, a church there, and we just did a whole uh, study in the Bible from the book of Ephesians. Uh, but think about the, the start of this. Paul is now in the middle of uh, Turkey. He's probably thinking, let me go down to the city of Ephesus. But God has some totally other plans. He says, no, I'm preventing you from going to Asia, which is where Ephesus would have been. And you're going to go on this detour. Now, this detour is like a 200-mile detour. And these guys are walking. You know, So this is like three weeks of you know, like a detour. Now, I, if you were with the Apostle Paul, I guarantee you, you'd be asking the questions that we'd be asking today. It's like, what is God saying? Why are we going a big detour? You know, why doesn't God just speak to us directly? Why is this so difficult? And, you know, we'd be all be asking the same question. Like, God, can we hear you a little bit more clearly? Can you speak to us more directly? And yet, the Apostle Paul and his colleagues, no, they just like going with what God is giving them, but really at the same time, they're totally inspired by God. It's, a, it's one of those mysteries that, that we just have to deal with as believers, as people of faith, that we always want more information than what God is giving us. And yet from God's standpoint, He's always giving us enough information for us to move on and make the right decision. Now, of course, this is section that we're picking up on, uh, in Acts chapter 16 is Paul's second missions journey. Uh, at the end of his journey, he ends up going through the city of uh, Ephesians, Ephesus. And on his third missionary journey, he goes through the city of Ephesus. So what I'm saying is this. The city of Ephesus was important, but the timing was totally different to what they thought and what God thought. And when, you know, as uh, uh, Amelia was saying, you know, it's not just being called by God. It's also a sense of, like, where is it that you're working God? Or timing, which is very difficult for us as believers to figure out. 
you know, what's the right timing to do whatever it is that God wants us to do? So the first point I want to make is God guides us in the obvious ways. And the second point I want to make is that God guides us in totally unusual ways, the complete opposite, the complete contrast. And this leaves us like without a plan because, you know, if we could just follow some rule book, it would be easy. But sometimes God guides us with the obvious and sometimes it's a supernatural thing. So Paul had a vision. Getting visions is not like an everyday occurrence. And when we do get a vision, the next thing is, it's like, was that a dream? Was that a vision? Was that really of the Lord? Is it not of the Lord? Was that just my imagination? You know, I don't know because Paul doesn't tell us exactly what that vision looked like. It would be really helpful, you know, if there was a lot of detail about that vision and how he got it and what it looked like. But enough to say that he got a vision of a guy calling him and saying, hey, come to Macedonia. And in a similar way, you and I have to be open and sensitive to God working in our lives in ways which are just not like normal. You know, you get a dream, you get a strong impression, you get a vision, you know, something, you're wide awake and you like, you see something. And, you know, sometimes we over-dramatize what this looks like. We, you know, we read, okay, Paul got a vision and, you know, in our mind we think of drums rolling and, the, you know, everything's the skies part and, and this great big vision. But my guess is it was pretty ordinary, pretty average, everyday stuff. You know, Paul got this impression. It was a strong sense that this is what God wanted it to do. All that is to say, we need to do the obvious, but we also need to be sensitive to the unusual ways that God can speak to us or communicate to us through things like a, a vision. Uh, you know, just reflecting as Bernadette and the missions team is going to go down to the Dominican Republic and we're going to pray for them soon at the, after worship. Uh, you know, the way we started that church in the Dominican Republic, again, it, it, it was so different to, you know, I didn't have a rule book and a plan. Okay, we'll do this and we'll start a church. I wanted to start a church. I always want to start a church. I want to start churches everywhere. I just want to start churches here. I want to start churches in Spain. I want to start churches in the Dominican Republic. I want to just start churches. I want other people to start churches. I mean, I just think this is a great vision and whatever not. But the way the church came about in the Dominican Republic was like so indirect and like, you know, here we have a female pastor in a male-dominated culture and she's just doing an awesome job. You know, now that the years have gone on, she's still pastoring away and uh, she's not discouraged and, you know, many other churches have started and stopped and come and gone. Uh, but very indirect. God, God was in it. God was guiding it. God was doing something in it. And uh, it's our joy to you know, follow God and try and figure this out as mystical and as strange as it might be. Uh, the last thing I want to say as I, uh, as, as I finish up here is Acts uh, 16.13. And let me just read this to you. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And as soon as we we sat down to speak with someone, uh, some women who were gathered there. And so Paul is saying, look, uh, uh, you know, I'm in Philippi. I'm trying to figure out how to start a church. Uh, I don't know anybody in the city. Uh, I don't know anything about this place. So how am I going to go about it? And he does the logical thing. He says, where do people gather that are somewhat religious? And he said, well, I heard that they gather down the river and they pray down there. 
So, duh, like, okay, how about we go down there and see if we can meet people? And indeed he does, and he goes down there, and he meets Lydia, and here's the strange thing. Uh, You know, there's probably a lot of people down there, but this one lady opens up her heart to the Lord. And because she opens up her heart to the Lord, Paul tells her more about Jesus and how she can receive Christ and experience His love. And she does, and the next minute, the whole family receive the Lord, and the next minute they're influencing the people around them, and finally a church has sprung up out of that, you know, casual encounter. Um, Romans 8.28 says this, and this is a, a popular passage, but I think it's helpful to apply it to a situation like this, and in your life too. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. You know, so... In your life today and tomorrow, next week and this week coming, and you're trying to figure out where's God in all this stuff, you know, obviously as we pray and we seek the Lord, we know that God is working uh, in our lives and doing it for, for the good of those that love the Lord. And God makes sense of our uh, nonsensical movements through this earth. I mean, He'll direct our paths. He'll, something that'll be strategic, He'll make things come of. Uh, our job and our delight is to follow the Lord and to experience His love and to respond when we sense God is speaking and to resist uh, when we need to be resisting. So I want to just uh, conclude here by saying that uh, we should pay attention to the individual in our life or the person in our life that's open or sensitive to the Lord, just like the Apostle Paul did. He picked up something about Lydia that was like she was open to the Lord. And if that's the case, uh, do that. Uh, Respond. But by influencing one person, uh, it can have dramatic results. I mean, again, to jump to this other missions uh, situation where Bernadette and the team are going down to the Dominican Republic, uh, Bernadette's mom, Lucille, she invested in this one kid, Ramon, and... She just like invested in this kid and invested in this kid. And now the guy's graduated as an architect. You know, at, but at the same time, Lucille said, look, you still need to come to church every week and you need to preach at this church. And I don't care if it's difficult because he's studied in another city. You make your way back out of this little village and you speak into these people's lives. And, you know, it's been a great partnership where Lucille's invested in this kid and now he's become somebody of huge significance and he's going to be used by the Lord. And then there's another kid that many of you have invested in and he's become a doctor or he's about to graduate as a doctor. You know, so what I'm saying is we invest in what's obvious in us and let the Lord invest in those that he wants to invest in. We invest in large numbers, we invest in small numbers, we invest in individuals and we let God do what God wants to do from them from then on out. Uh, God's plans, honestly, are not straightforward. They're mysterious. And when God died on the cross and He said, okay, I'm making a way for us to know God, it's not, on one hand, it's so simple, it's so easy, but we all desire to know and experience God's love. We all desire to be led and directed by God. We all desire to have our problems, our worries, our concerns, and our needs met by the Lord. And the Lord desires to do exactly that. And yet our 
frustration is sometimes God doesn't act fast enough or in the ways that we'd like. And our delight is that when we do experience God and we see God's hand, and it's so obviously God, it is so rewarding. It's so rich. And so we desire more of God's direction in our lives. And God is asking us to be dependent on Him for every step of the way, in our careers, in our kids, in our raising our kids, you know, in the directions that we take. God wants us to be dependent on Him, and we do the obvious, and we do the supernatural, and we just depend on God in every step that we make. So, uh, Lord, I just uh, lift up every person here today. Uh, Lord, I just uh, thank you, Lord, that you've placed us all in this area. Lord, you've asked us to influence Hopkinson and Milford and the surrounding towns. And Lord, uh, you've poured out your love in us. And Lord, we, des- we delight when we see you move and, your- and we experience uh, your love and we see how you've put things together. And Lord, we desire more of that, not less of that. So Lord, I just welcome your involvement in each person's life here today. And Lord, I just pray for the ability for each of us to influence someone for you and your gospel and your good news, that we can bring good news to those around us in a way which is accessible to them and understandable. But Lord, we need your love. We need you to fill us again. We need you to inspire us. Lord, we need you to help us. And Lord, I just pray for your people that they would experience your love and your, uh, your direction and your involvement in their lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen.